Hello everyone and welcome to itsyourseason.life where we are discovering and living life at any age. I'm Lisa Boson and I'm here to introduce you to people like you and me who have rediscovered themselves, stretched their abilities, and to me kept their light under a bushel basket. I hear their stories and think, wow, that is so cool. These are ordinary people doing the extraordinary. So what are we doing? Well, you know how you'd love to hear your peers succeed, get inspired by those who just try? That's us. That's itsyourseason.life. Don't forget to follow us on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm there sharing weekly updates and, of course, what's in season, be it people, food, feelings, and nature. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of itsyourseason.life, where we bring amazing individuals to you, have them share your stories, and bring some inspiration to you. Today's episode, on October 12th, we are bringing you Janice Simon. I love Janice Simon. I have known her for, gosh, almost 20 years. We have a common background of really loving the written and spoken word. I met her at a, a large uh, medical institution, healthcare institution in Houston. The recruiter who was bringing her on board said, you have got to meet Janice. She is so interesting. I think y'all will be really great friends. And, and 20 years later, I have to say, she is one of my dearest friends, and I love following her and being able to reconnect with her when we're back in Houston. She has made some amazing transitions from journalism to her current role of leadership practitioner, but she has all these lives in between that we really want to unpack today. She has a personal passion for organizing. She is a certified professional organizer. She is also a writer and a blogger for her Clutter Princess and the Savvy Auntie blogs and websites. She is amazing. You're just going to love her. She has breadth and depth, and we're going to go find out that right now. So welcome, Janice. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. I feel like I feel very, uh, I love this introduction. I feel like I need to have this recorded and just broadcast every time I speak. Ah, there you go. Well, we're going to send it to you and you can do that and do whatever you want with it because this is really, it's all about your wonderful life and we really appreciate you sharing it today. Um, gosh, there's a lot going on here. There's this, this wonderful piece of your career transitions and then maybe we can dig a little bit deeper into what drives you and then things that you've discovered through your life as well. So I'm going to kind of go with how would you like to get started today with this? What would you like to share? Um, well, we can talk about how we met. That works. Sure. Yeah. Well, because the thing was that Art had kept saying that I needed to meet you and he kept telling you that I, you needed to meet me and you just so bravely reached out via email and said, hi, I'm Art's friend. He's the one, you know, I'm the one that he says that we should meet. And um, we had lunch and then it was sort of kismet ever since, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's just uh, I, I, I follow you. I, I enjoyed being able to to work with you in the same institution and have lunches with you and then do things off, off-site as well. And the more I got to know you is, is all the interest that you have. So you came to us through journalism, if I remember. Is that correct? Um, actually, no, I had already left journalism. I came from the school district. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I applied for a different job at the hospital. And then um, I had received a call from Art about a particular job that I hadn't applied for. And 
I had looked on it online and it talked about instructional technology and all these things that I did not know what it was. And I wound up arguing with the HR recruiter, which is something they, you know, tell you not to do in, I'm sure, all sorts of interview books. And I said, I don't know. I don't know if I should. This is, doesn't sound like me. And he's like, oh, no, no, you're perfect for this job. You're perfect. I'm putting your application in. I'm like, fine, fine. And then I did the interview and I really wanted the job and I called him and I said, okay, you were right. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> Those recruiters, they know what they're looking for sometimes and many times. And look at serendipity. You landed, you landed uh, there in, in the organization and you just kept growing. And then you had this whole other side of organizing. How did that happen? Well, it was, uh, I was in a new department um, when I got the job at the hospital, and one of the things, and it was in faculty development, and one of the things that we had done is we had asked the faculty, which are all the physicians, and uh, which are clinicians and researchers, um, what they wanted in terms of, you know, services and what they needed help with professionally um, to develop themselves, and they all kept saying they needed help with organizing and productivity. Um, so in 2001, my boss at the time found out about the what was called the National Association of Professional Organizers. They were having a conference in Austin, and she sent me off to the conference. And I went, and I'm like, huh, these are my people. This is cool. And uh, I came back, and we sort of naively hung up the shingle saying that I would help people with productivity and organizing. And I would, that I would do presentations. And then people started asking for help and asking for presentations. And then it was like, oh, holy crap. Okay, I now have to do this. And uh, that's how it started. And it really sort of took over a large chunk of my job. And I'm still today, you know, 20 years, 19 years later of doing organizing, um, I'm still one of the only person that works full-time in an organization as a professional organizer. Um, all the other organizers either work for themselves as you know their own company or they work for other organizers. And every now and again, there's another organizer that'll work for a company for a little while, but um, I'm the only one that's been doing it consistently. That is fascinating. It's you think about the productivity of physicians and especially academics with everything, all the research materials and everything that has to be organized. What was, what was your biggest discovery on that? Well, the thing was, is that um, because I worked with physicians and staff, I worked with anybody in the institution. So I was all over the organization. Um, the thing was, is that I, you know, I work for an organization that has a lot of high achieving individuals and sometimes they just need permission to get out of their own way in terms of productivity and dealing with procrastination and there's no one right way to be productive or to organize your space there's not a cookie cutter approach every approach has to be you know individual according to that person's work style and work habits so it's, uh, there's not just like one approach that's going to work, like one standard approach. And I had people ask me like, oh, do you have a filing system that works for doctors or a filing system that works for medical people? And I'm like, it just depends on what they're working on. 
And, you know, back when I started organizing, it was probably a lot more paper and a lot more files. Um, email was starting to become like a little bit of a problem. But now, you know, 19, 20 years later, it's really about productivity and digital uh, files and email and just trying to get things done in general. So the field has really changed a lot. Wow, that's, that's amazing that an organization would have someone on staff just to help with their organizing. And, it, and is that still a, a majority of your role or has there been more transition in that now? Well, the last couple of years, because I've been in um, what we have now is called the Leadership Institute, it's probably not at like 50% of my role anymore. It's probably more like 30 to 40, but I'm still heavily involved with it. Um, I did develop a class called Productivity and Leadership on for leaders on how their productivity uh, affects them and their teams. So I've been able to sort of combine the the two areas that I'm working in. So I'm still involved with productivity and organizing. It's just part of who I am. And I still have people that reach out to me uh, all over the organization to get advice or tips or help. Oh, okay. Good to know. So, so I'm going to pivot just a little bit if you're okay with this. Um, sure. You have a couple of other writing and... Um, an idea generation, creative projects going on. Tell us a little bit about the, well, the Clutter Princess is probably a good segue. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the Savvy Empty. How did those come into being? Uh, well, the Clutter Princess came into being um, because I decided to, you know, have a blog where I could post things outside of work. So I do have my Clutter Princess blog. I probably need, I haven't blogged in a while. I probably need to do that again a little bit more or do video blogging. Um, but it came about because I just thought it was a funny name and a cool name and I got it trademarked and uh, I had fun with it. And then on uh, the Savvy Auntie site came about because I met Melanie Notkin who is the Savvy Auntie uh, in the early days of Twitter, when Twitter first started. And so I started writing for her website, The Savvy Auntie, as The Organized Auntie. And so, uh, you know, I've done several posts over the years on, on that side of things. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And I enjoy writing, and writing is uh, one of those things that comes you know, I guess fairly easy to me. It's just, it's just a natural part of my personality to write. Very interesting. Um, and you're writing, I think about how it is transitioning and sometimes it's not always the written word, but it's other way, ways to verbalize, just kind of pull it out of your head um, and get it down in some electronic or hard copy method. Um, you really are a fluid writer uh, for the blogging. I'm sure you do a lot of writing at work. Um, and so give us an idea of how, kind of how you organize that writing and how do you bring it to fruition? Uh, certainly. I have, uh, I keep ideas in notebooks. And so if I have an idea for something, I jot it down. I also keep ideas in Evernote and I also keep articles that sort of inspire ideas in Evernote as well. Um, I think I look at, figured like it's a digital scrapbook in a way. Um, and I also take a look, you know, around um, 
to see like what my clients are doing or experiencing and I get inspiration from that. I also get inspiration from maybe what's going on out in the world for things. You know, like for example, uh, when Marie Kondo's book, The Magic of Tidying Up came out, I had, uh, you know, several of my organizing clients at work who were reading the book and it really resonated with them. And to me, anything that um, resonates and helps a client, I'm for. And, uh, and, you know, and, and so she did a show on Netflix a couple of years ago or last year. I can't remember. I feel like time has just sort of been a vacuum this past year. <laughs> Yes, but um, for some, for some people, they would watch uh, they watched a couple episodes of her Netflix show, and then they were cleaning out their entire house. And to me, I thought that was great. And I would and I think I talked a little bit about that before in some other um, writing. For the creative writing pursuits, I do have a writing group that I've been working with for a couple of years. And there's four of us in this group, and we're a pretty tight group. And we, um, I've met one of them in a writing class several years ago, and the other two we just met at another writing conference two years ago. And, you know, we all four are writing fiction books. We all four have different styles, um, but we do have humor as sort of our one of our core values through all of it. And during the pandemic, um, we started meeting twice a week instead of once a week virtually. And one day is spent, you know, meeting on video and talking about pages. And then the second time in the week is when we just sort of meet on um, the Google Hangouts and we write for an hour and then check back in with each other. And we also have done a, we started a group writing project where we're working on a book that all four of us are writing different pages for. And so that's been a very fun project. Uh, that's been our pandemic project. So that, it's been a lot of fun. That is fascinating that four people can get together and um, respect each other enough, enjoy each other's writing. The, the feedback is is. Uh, providing feedback is uh, can can be challenging, but it seems like y'all y'all can really work through that and pull together and be creative. That is that's uh, that's wonderful. How would you how would you uh, classify your fiction writing? Where would that be? Your style or writing? Um, it's probably leans more to the humorous side of things. And it's definitely not literary fiction. <laughs> definitely not literary fiction. Uh, one of the girls in my writing group is very much literary fiction. And I'm always like, uh, what's going on here? And she's like, well, it's very nuanced. And I'm like, oh, it's so nuanced. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's like, um, I think my writing style is probably like very, it's sparse compared to literary fiction. Uh, I probably lean more towards like the cozy type mysteries and you know kind of rom-com things the book that i'm working on right now is sort of a gothic rom-com that's set in houston oh okay yeah so i'm having a good time with it that's a, that's uh you have not let the pandemic go to waste i see janice <laughs> i'm trying to i'm trying <laughs> Yeah. I mean, in addition to, yeah, in addition to doing some writing, I'm also growing my hair out. That's my other pandemic activity. <laughs> so I, I did, 
I do love your humor because it's, I don't know how to classify your humor. It just, when I go out to your Facebook and I see something posted and it's humorous, it's just, it's just, it's so perfectly placed. It's just, it's just wonderful. I want to take a step back. I want to come back to Savvy Auntie for a moment because it reminds me sure. that you are an aunt. And yes. um, you love being an aunt. I'm, I'm thinking we've been together 20 years as friends and I'm sure you're, you're, your nieces and nephews are probably 20 plus now, but tell us just a little bit, if we can go to the personal side on your relation, how you, know, how you evolved this relationship with your nieces and nephews and your family. There's, um, if you wouldn't mind going there with me. Oh, sure. Um, I have, technically I have about uh, 18 nieces, nephews and godchildren. These are um, some family members. This is my family and my biological family because I am adopted. And then I also have um, my friend's kids who uh, I'm, you know, I'm Aunt Janice too. So I guess, you know, once you're adopted, it's like it's easy to adopt others. So I keep adopting nieces and nephews. There's always seems to be room for one more. And the, I became an aunt for the first time in 1990, when my sister had uh, my oldest niece. And um, it was one of those things where it was like, wow, you know, I really understand love now seeing, you know, this baby. And I'm so excited about the baby coming. And I knew it was going to be a girl. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty tight with all my nieces and nephews. They're, you know, we have really good relationships. Um, they can tell, they know they can tell me anything. And even during the pandemic, I have one of my nieces who's in college in Oklahoma who like FaceTimes me to check in on me. Cause I guess now I'm at the age where the kids are checking in on me, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my joke is that, you know, at least this time, at least, you know, being a good aunt, um, I won't be in the bad nursing home. I'll get the good nursing home and they'll smuggle chocolate in and, you know, firefighters in for me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> The, the, yeah. uh, the proverbial that you post every year, the firefighter calendar, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is part of my stress management. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, so the nieces and nephews, it's, it's fascinating to see how they develop um, their personalities and as people. And now my oldest niece has a five-year-old. So I have a great nephew and it's kind of shocking that I have friends that are my age that are grandparents when I'm not even old enough to have children but that's what kind of happens um and he's like adorable and I tried to have the cool you know great aunt name you know like people have the great grandparent names like Gigi and Nana and stuff and I tried to go for Auntie Gaga for great aunt and because I like Lady Gaga but because the kids call me Aunt Janice the little ones, the great ones call me Aunt Janice too. So I just gave up on that. I'm like, fine, fine. It's so just, it's just Aunt Janice and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need the cool name. But I have like, um, let's see, one, two. I have four great nieces and nephews now. So, and then when my godson got married last year, um, you know, when he told me he was going to get engaged, I'm like, oh, my God, I get to have a godmother of the groom dress. <laughs> and, you know, there were people that go, and there's no such thing as a godmother of the groom dress. And I'm like, yes, there is, because I've created it. 
And it was really funny when I went to like the bridal place to look at dresses. I said, I'm here for a godmother of the groom dress. And they were like, um, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I'm like, it's a new thing. It's a new thing. So I, yeah, the bride and groom thought it was hilarious that I had like my own, you know, godmother of the groom dress. I like that. I think you, mm -hmm. you just, when you're a godmother, you deserve the dress. That's a, that's a great story. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about if you and I think we talked about this before of, about your adoption and and your your uh, biological family and so forth. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that for others who may be adopted and and you know maybe experiencing something similar or have questions about it? Oh sure sure um, I. Uh was born in 68 and that was a time when um single mothers did not keep their babies and especially in oklahoma that was a very religious state uh you know my birth mother was catholic and um and my birth father uh you know he um he was like oh we should we could get married and then he sort of disappeared he was a little bit of a runner i guess mm -hmm. And, uh, so it was decided that I was going to be given up for adoption. And, uh, it was very interesting because I always knew I was adopted and my parents got me when I was 12 days old and, and they got me through Catholic charities. And it was very interesting, um, over the years, uh, when I started my adoption search, kind of like around when I was in college is when I started looking and that's when I got like non-identifying information from the adoption agency because Oklahoma is a very closed adoption state and even though I do have a relationship with my birth mother and my birth family technically I still cannot get my original birth certificate from Oklahoma unless I go to court for it and um, so it was kind of like this 13 year on and off search and there was this new thing called the internet that really kind of helped it along um, because on, through the internet, I met other birth mothers who were at the same maternity home as my birth mother um, at the same time. There was about 60 some girls there. And so I learned a great deal about what life was like for the birth mothers. And it was like very sad to me um, because they were, you know, ostracized. There was a lot of guilt and shame and um, the Monsignor who my parents adored because he gave them babies would tell the girls that once they got back home, they should start dating immediately so people wouldn't think anything was wrong with them. Like it was a bad thing. And uh, and they were treated really kind of badly in the hospital when they gave birth. And they that was back when the birth moms were there for like a week. And the nurses were always kind of rude to them until it was getting, until it was time for them to leave without their babies. And then they were a little nicer to them. Um, so that was really great insight to kind of find out what they experienced back then. And, you know, there was no therapy back then for anybody, uh, for, you know, the birth moms. And it was very interesting to me how several of them, um, most of them actually, most of them did not just go back to like their normal life and act like anything was wrong. There was a lot of things that happened. Some of them got married right away to have another baby. And some people got pregnant again and had to give up another baby for adoption. And uh, some people had, you know, got into addiction. So it was something that they just didn't, 
skip away merrily from like some people may think that they did. Um, like I said, my parents always told us, my sister and I both, that we were adopted. And then my brother was the surprise biological child. They were told they couldn't have children. And then my mother got pregnant. And um, uh, so we were actually very close in age because I was like, I was three. My sister was two My brother when my brother was born. And uh, so it was always very interesting because I did not look like my family for the most part. I probably resembled like the same coloring as some of my aunts on my mom's side of the family. Um, but I did not look anything like my parents who were very dark headed. And I was like this blonde, blue eyed kid. And uh, my sister probably blended in a bit more because she had the darker hair. Um, but technically the three of us siblings were not genetically related, but you know, we're still like brother and sister. And, um, so fast forward to like 2000, um, they had changed the, some of the rules in Oklahoma. And I had found this out on adoption search sites that you can't, that Oklahoma was going to have an agency, like a central agency that no matter what agency you were adopted in, in Oklahoma, you could reach out to them and they would do a search for you like for $400. And so I did that in early 2001 because you had to be on their registry for six months and then you were able to pay the money to do the search. And my mother was like, are you sure about this? Are you sure? And I'm like, mom, this is happening. I know you need, I had to like, had to have a little tough love moment going, this is happening. I've researched this. I know you're scared. I know you're afraid of what I'm going to find that I may get hurt, but this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Um, and basically two weeks after 9-11, I got the call at work that the searcher had found my birth mother and that she had consented for me to contact her. And that's, that's kind of opened up the door right there. And it was very interesting. The first time I was ever in a room and I had like with, with my birth family and I had like this moment of like, oh my gosh, I like, I share DNA with all these people. This is stunning because it was a very interesting process. And I learned more about myself than I realized because I thought, you know, I was basically looking for like hair color, eye color, like, who do I look like? Who gave me the ugly toes? You know, who, you know, like, where did I get most of my personality from? And, but it goes, there's so many more things that are genetic than we realize. And especially now, if you look at ancestry.com and 23andMe, when people do those um, DNA tests, you can see the kinds of things that they can tell are genetic now. And uh, so it was very interesting, but it was also very exciting that I was able to finally fill out a medical history form for the doctor, because before I would always have to cross it out and say, I'm adopted. I have no idea. I have no idea what's happening. And it's basically expanded my family. Um, my birth father did not meet with me in 2001. He did not. I didn't meet him until 2007 and he was dealing with esophageal cancer and uh, we knew each other for two years before he passed away. And, but basically this experience has been very positive for me. And I, like I said, I expanded my family and it was really funny because um, my half brother, 
had a three-year-old that uh, a three-year-old boy that I got to meet and I was at their house when we all met up and you know this little boy comes out he had woken up from his nap and he's kind of looking at me and I'm like hey I'm Aunt Janice I'm new and he just was like hey cool you know and the kids never questioned where I came from or how I was related to them all they know is that I'm their aunt and um, but like I said it's been a very positive experience and I've, you know, I have had several friends that um, were adopted as well. And I have talked to them when they have found birth family members. And so, because, you know, it kind of sometimes takes one to know one, basically. And like, I, you know, I understand what they're going through, that you're meeting total strangers who happen to share your DNA. Um, but it's been just a very positive experience for me. So... Um, what, it, it's just a lovely story. I'm just in awe that you, you were, you persevered and you were able to find them and the laws changed and, and you continue to work through that and you're able to find your, uh, and your birth, fa uh, biological father, um, um, did reach out and, and meet with you in 2007. What words of wisdom would you give others who are considering it or, you know, what would you, what would you tell others? What, Good, bad, ugly, different. What what would you what, what might you say to someone who's considering it, or what do you tell your friends that are considering it now? Trying yeah, to I tell them that you know anything that you feel or react to is perfectly normal, because I think um, sometimes with talk shows and movies, people think that you know, the biological child and the biological family are going to run across the field to each other on flowers, you know, um, and instantly recognize each other. And it's not true. You're still, both of you are total strangers, one of whom happened to maybe give birth to you. And um, you have to take it slow and take it easy. And you can always set boundaries for any relationship. Um, I've had people that, uh, that I know that the, one of their birth family members was not in a good place or was very toxic and they do not have a relationship with that person, but they got what they needed in terms of medical history and things like that. Um, I also tell people to, especially for those of us who were born in the sixties, um, and beyond, before that is that um, don't ask questions that you really don't want the answer to. You know, I came across a lot of people in forums that after they're finding their birth families, their birth mothers, they would ask them if they would have had abortion if it was legal and at the time, and some of them said yes, and they were just like horrified by that. And I was like, well, that's a really um, legitimate response to that question. And my thing was, is that if you don't want to know, then don't ask, you know, because you're just going to wind up with hurt feelings if that's an issue that you feel very strongly about. Um, you know, my birth mother and I are very open and honest and, uh, you know, so I can ask all sorts of questions and I've never had that problem, but we do know that some people um, don't want to go there. They don't want to have the discussions. They are going to want to keep some things to themselves, which is perfectly fine.
Um, I think it's just a matter of going slow. I would also recommend taking notes after every phone conversation to kind of, or even while you're on the phone with them to kind of capture things. Uh, because it's such an emotional time when you first meet with them and that they're, you just, it's almost like getting, you know, hit with a fire hose of information. And it's really important to kind of write things down um, so you can remember what you've talked about or what you've learned. And uh, so you can keep those notes. And I still have my original notes from those conversations. I also, when I filed the paperwork to do the search, I also met with a therapist because I needed somebody neutral to talk to. Um, and he and I would debrief before and after my meetings and conversations with them. Um, it was super helpful because my friends were so emotionally tied to me that every time I tried to have a conversation about what I was feeling or experiencing, they would just like tear up and go, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And you're like, this is really not helping me right now. Okay. You're not helping. And so it's important to have like that neutral person that um, you can talk to, which is what I try to be when I have friends that reach out to me. And, you know, like one of my friends, um, her biological father was a sperm donor and she wound up doing a DNA testing and meeting siblings. And she and I had that conversation about reaching out to them and how to do this. And, um, and the thing is, is that you just want to make sure up front when you reach out to your biological family that you assure them that you're not there to disrupt their lives. That's a, that's so. a wonderful word, words of wisdom. What was, um, maybe I should have asked this on the front end, but your own kind of pers personal motivation and expectation for um, discovering um, your biological mother, your family, I guess I should say. Um, for me, it was it was really about like what I looked like, you know, like where I got, you know, my appearance from, who was I like, just to kind of answer some basic questions, really. I never felt that I was missing a part of myself. I know there's some adoptees that always will talk about like how they thought like a big hole was there that they didn't feel that there was, they didn't feel complete. I always felt like a complete person. I just wanted more information. I wanted more details, which is probably, um, when I think about it, it's probably very, you know, no wonder I'm an organizer because I want my details. But, uh, you know, I, I just wanted more information. I wanted to know who I looked like. And my thing was, is that I wanted a picture with my birth parents and, um, and anything else was sort of bonus. And um, I do have a picture of, me and my birth parents together. Um, interestingly enough, my birth parents actually got married after I was given up for adoption. And uh, they were married for like almost five years uh, until he wanted to have children. And then she realized how much she resented him and <laughs> divorced him. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm his only biological child. Yeah, and he is the one I got the ugly toes from, by the way. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My birth mom always says, she goes, oh, you know, she even though she never showed me her toes, you know, it never had come up. And she said, yeah, I think they're probably mine because mine are pretty ugly. And then when I was visiting with my birth father when he was ill, 
he didn't have shoes or socks on and i'm like oh my god i, I scared the crap out of him because i'm like oh my god those are my toes you have my toes and he was just like and i pulled my shoe off and he goes oh yeah those are yeah those are your toes okay you know just like but my birth mom and I share, um, we have the same hands. Like, our fingers are very much the same. Huh. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really weird to find out some of the things that are probably genetic. Um, you know, my birth mom and I love dark chocolate, so I tell people I can't help it. It's genetic. That's my excuse. And um, also, the, um, like, my extrovertedness comes from my birth father, my humor apparently comes from my birth father, um, even though there's probably a couple of my members of my birth mom's side of the family that think it's from that side of the family. But uh, it's funny, like, okay, I'm like, you guys can argue over it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but the, um, you know, I also found out, like, my birth mom uh, loves decorating and doing kind of craft things and, and stuff like that. And that's just something that I've always enjoyed as well the interior decorating stuff. So I was considering myself the Martha Stewart of my group, minus the cooking, because, you know, Lisa, we know. We know how my cooking is. Yes, we do. But, garlic, um... <laughs> <laughs> you rescued that dinner party, I, I have to say. I rescued you. I'll say, for, for, for our audience, just so you know, I got a call from Janice, and she wanted to, she was making dinner for her dinner party, and uh, asked me if I, she should use the whole head of garlic. They called for a clove of garlic and was that a whole head. So we could have had a whole head of garlic, which sometimes is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Yeah. 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 That's uh hmm. salvage that one. So that Yeah, actually, thank God. <laughs> that actually kinda I was gonna ask you about your humor, but you, you answered that from your with your birth dad and then some of your other family members. Um, but I did want to talk about um, there's there's a lot of up and ups and downs with uh uh well like life in general we know that but you live in Houston you have hurricanes you've had floods you've had uh you know a series of you know of really working through this and doing such a beautiful job and sharing your story of your family what uh, what really helps you stay motivated and stay positive what are things that work for you um, well, for me, I feel like the, um, I think about Dory from Finding Nemo a lot, how she says, keep swimming, keep swimming. And that's kind of my motto. One of my mottos is I just keep swimming. And I do know that for me, no matter how dark and crazy it gets, it's, um, it's a moment in time and it's always going to be better. The next day is going to be better. And, you know, like in the last like five years, five, six years, um, you know, I've lost both of my parents. Um, I've had massive shifts at work. You know, we had a lot of restructuring um, and I was moved to a new department with a new team. Uh, uh, also, you know, I was diagnosed with discoid lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. And uh, the medication that I have to take is like basically chemotherapy and the hydrochloroquine that you may have heard about in the news yep. lately. Okay. Um, and that causes a lot of fatigue and energy issues. So I operate at not a hundred percent, which is something that I've had to, um, deal with because 
I'm always wanting to do so much more. And right now, you know, there's a certain point where my body goes, yeah, that's cute. No, you're not going to do that. And I feel like I become like Wiley Coyote that's, you know, slams against the cliff and just like slides down to the bottom um, when I try to do too much. Um, so I've been dealing with a lot of that. And the good thing is, is that I've surrounded myself with a lot of very positive people. Now, this doesn't mean that they're all like, you know, cheerleaders or, you know, like overly bubbly where, you know, nothing bothers them. But these are people that will um, lift me up when I need lifting. They will poke me with, with sticks if I've been hiding out in my house too much. Uh, they will check in on me. I will check in on them. And, you know, right now with the pandemic, um, because I'm immunosuppressed um, and live alone, it's and a high-end extrovert on top of that. So people have been like a little concerned about me because, you know, I'm living alone by myself and then I don't have people and I get energy from people. So they will chat with me on the phone a bit more. They will get on Zoom with me and we'll have Zoom calls. I have people that also, they will go get stuff for me because they know I, it's probably a little dangerous for me to be out. Um, so I'm well, I'm like a well-fed zoo animal at this point, really. But I do have a lot of people around me that, um, lift me up and, you know, like I have my tribe, I have my tribe of people. I love that. Um, yeah, our little Moas, our tribes of, that really do encourage us and keep us going. So what, um... So over these, I don't, I'm not going to say your age because honestly, I don't know. I just know we've been together a long time. Oh, what I'm is, 52. <laughs> I'm 52. 52. What is your proudest accomplishment so far? Because this um, isn't think, the end, right, Janice? It's not the end. What's your proudest oh, yes. accomplishments? <laughs> um, I think my biggest accomplishment has been my uh, being an aunt. Quite frankly, uh, quite frankly, because um, these, it's it's so great to be part of their lives and to uh, to be part of the village that helps with the kids. I just want to make sure I'm not the village idiot in the village. One of my friends told me that I was more of the Randy milkmaid than the village idiot, which I thought was really positive. But you know, my goal is to try to make this world a better place for them. And that's usually my goal. So I think th those are my proudest accomplishments because when they do like amazing things and, uh, it's just, uh, it's just very satisfying to me. Very nice. Yeah. Well, trying to make the world a better place. Every little bit helps when you, um, for sure. So what, um, kind of thinking forward a little bit, because we've got lots of life ahead of us. Um, you're absolutely, I think, wonderfully happy in your new role, and you've got all these creative um, uh, ways to write. What are you thinking about? If you could, like, create your own next act, what would that look like? What would that be? Well, um, I think that... I'll be eligible to retire in a few years, probably sooner rather than later the way that, you know, the way that years are going. But, um, 
And my thought is that um, I would still have to probably do some work after I retire uh, from the hospital. And so my thought would be to probably do like writing and organizing and things like that full time. And I think working from home these past seven months, eight, see, I've lost all track of time. You know, however long I've been working from home um, has made me realize that I can control the world from my evil lair here in my home office. Because, you know, I have these monitors, I have a cool chair, I have everything, like, set up now. So I do feel like I have an evil princess lair here at the house. <laughs> and so, um, essentially, I can work anywhere. And I would love to travel, do more traveling. Um, you know, the last big trip I took was to Ireland a couple of years ago. And that was, like, a dream vacation. And I would love to go back and explore more of Ireland and uh, Europe. And I have a whole list of places that I want to travel to around the world. So definitely want to do that. And I just want to continue to sort of manage, you know, my chronic illness effectively and not to, uh, to keep my energy up and to keep improving, you know, my health as well. So, um, we're going to be wrapping this up in just a little bit, but, um, what is one thing we didn't include today you want to be sure and highlight or something that you want to add on to just for in, um, added benefit? Hmm. What did we not talk about? I don't know. We talked about <laughs> trying to hit all the fun stuff, you know. I work. know. I know. I'm kind of like, what did we not talk your about? Your career, your family, your, uh, your dreams, your aspirations. Um, yeah, your ups and downs. Yeah. But, you know, you have a really great positive attitude. And I think that's what I've always appreciated is um, how well you also use humor to try to, 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 break, to break a moment, you know, to make us all kind of pause, too. So I know I used to get your tacky Christmas newsletter. Do you still do that? Yes, I do. Newsletter. I do. I send it out by email now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, just to wrap things up, uh, let's uh, tell people how they can find you with the Savvy Auntie and the, um, or any way you want them to hook up, Instagram, Facebook, personal blogs, what would you like, how would you like them to find you? Um, well, um, I'm on LinkedIn as Janice Marie Simon. I uh, have a Clutter Princess Facebook page that you can check out. I do some occasional posts there. I try to do funny things. Um, I also am on Twitter at, at Janice Simon and just be prepared for very non-serious posts sometimes in connection with other serious posts. <laughs> Your word of caution. That's good. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you've been warned people. You've been warned. <laughs> you've been warned people. Um, Gosh, follower, she's uh, the woman is brilliant. She's she does have breath. She's got a an eye on the world that many of us don't, and it's really greatly appreciated. So, Janice, I really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your many stories um, with our listeners. Um, and I think they're they're stories of hope. You know, finding your birth parents and and working through. Um, the lupus and really looking at opportunities and 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 I love that you you in your career you know took something and went yeah I can make this happen this is for me you know and, and took a 
took a chance at serendipity sending you something. So that was just a, a wonderful story. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to continue to follow you and hear and, and read and hear more. And hopefully we connect sooner than this than through a podcast. But I'm, I appreciate you um, uh, joining me today, Janice. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So that's a wrap for today. We've so enjoyed you being with us. I hope you learned something new, got some inspiration, and you are ready to move forward with your own new season. Remember, we are living life at any age. Take some time to visit the other social media sites. Give us some feedback. Shoot me an email on Facebook. And remember, until then, stay safe and keep on living. Cheers.